Father Dave Callahan, and you're listening to the bonus episodes of the Divisit podcast. If you've just listened to the story of St. Athanasius, one man against the world, my hope is that you have gained a whole new insight into something of the history of our church. And my hope is particularly that you feel quite inspired by one of the great heroes of our church. This was a particular part of the history which sadly most people don't know about these days. We know about some of our, our modern saints, the classics like Ignatius and Francis of Assisi and Dominic, but a lot of the early church fathers, the, the great theologians of the church, have been forgotten. Now obviously this is a, a, a time in history which is so far distant from us that it does seem like a, di a distant world. But the issues that they were fighting are still issues that we need to be fighting today. I'm very aware that it's a story which can be a little bit hard to follow because everyone seems to have similar names. For some reason, all the key characters had names starting with A, being Arius and Athanasius and Alexander of Alexandria and even the, the, uh, the emperors, Constantine and then Constantius, his, his son. It would help sometimes if they were just a little bit more simple or unique. <clears throat> but at the heart of the issue was this key theological question of who is Jesus? Is Jesus actually God? Now, this is something which we often will say without really thinking. We never really stop and think about the implications of the idea. What I've found over the years in talking with people is that it's a concept which most Catholics have never really seriously wrestled with. It's, it's held in that place in our brain of doctrines which we believe because we're told to, but if we think about it, it's going to make our, our head hurt. I really want to encourage you to stop and wrestle with this concept of the incarnation. The idea that God, the almighty, all-powerful, infinite, transcendent creator of the universe would become a weak, helpless, suffering, limited human being. You know, as I sometimes try to explain this when I talk to young people, really what we're saying here is that God became a baby and wet his pants. It sounds very blasphemous, really, when we say this. But this is the scandalous heart of Christianity. Now, this is exactly why Arius did not like the idea. It's also the same reason why the Jews don't like the idea and the Muslims don't like the idea. Because... There is something about this teaching of the Incarnation which is just blasphemous. How could we suggest that the all-powerful God would take upon himself basic human bodily functions which we find scandalous sometimes? This is something which really makes our head hurt. Now, the issues that were really at stake here there was, there was something very much here about language. And I've always had to explain this to, to people when I'm trying to explain to them who Jesus is. That as much as we believe that Jesus is God, the first question I will inevitably get is, but how can he be God if he is called the Son of God? 
Now that question is precisely the point that Arius was talking about. That if the scriptures call him the son of God, then therefore he must be like a little God or he must have been created by God. So in the words of Arius, there must have been a time when Jesus didn't exist. He must have been brought into being at a certain point in time. This is where we need to try to explain a few terms that are in the scriptures. When Jesus is referred to as the Son of God, this is not necessarily a reference to his divinity. The term Son of God is used multiple times in the Old Testament. Sometimes it's used there to refer to angels, to the chosen people, sometimes to the Davidic king, and sometimes to the faithful Israelites. So it's not necessarily a reference to the divinity of Christ. However, there is another term which Jesus uses, which is the Son of Man. And this is a reference to the divinity of Christ. That in the prophet Daniel, in chapter 7, verse 13, there is this, this beautiful moment where Daniel sees a vision of the anointed divine Messiah. And it says, I watched therefore in the visions of the night and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man arrived and he approached all the way to the ancient of days and they presented him before him. So when Jesus calls himself the son of man, he is referencing Daniel chapter 7, saying that that's who I am. I am the one who is seated at the right hand of the throne in heaven, who is the anointed divine Messiah. So this is where the language is important. That son of God does not necessarily reference his divinity, but son of man does. Some authors would say that in a more theological or philosophical sense, that we can look at the term Son of God actually as a real proof of his divinity. There's a great book called Theology for Beginners by Frank Sheed, where he talks about the fact that the son of a horse is a horse. The son of a human is a human. And so therefore the Son of God is God. That at a purely philosophical level, we could say that this is saying something about the nature of that person. And so, therefore, when we talk about Jesus being the Son of God, we're, we're really accentuating the fact that his, his nature is divine. It's not as though he's a secondary person. Now, what Athanasius was doing through all of his writings over many, many years was trying to prove through Scripture that... Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, had always existed. And the first chapter of John's Gospel really is the, the standout proof of that. You know, when John refers to Jesus as being the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. The key point that Athanasius was really trying to defend is that our salvation simply does not work unless Jesus is fully divine. That our whole understanding of Jesus paying the price for our sin is that if we have committed an infinite offence before God, then it needs to be an infinite person who pays that price.
that was St. Anselm's whole understanding from around 1000 AD. If Jesus was just a human being, or if in some sense he was a, a creature, maybe still somehow powerful, more powerful than a human, but just less than God, that's not actually going to save us. You know, that, that he has no power to take away our sins. So what Athanasius was really trying to hit home here is that the divinity of Christ is central to the whole mystery of Christianity. Now, the reason why this is so important is because Arianism never really died. This idea has always lingered in the background of the church. There have always been people who have liked the idea of Jesus. They've liked him as a good moral teacher, but they feel scandalized by him being anything more than that. The two most obvious examples of Arianism are the Mormon Church and the Jehovah's Witnesses. Many Christians don't quite understand that these churches aren't actually Christian. Even though they believe in Jesus, they don't believe that Jesus is God. And fundamentally, they're, they're the classic representation of Arius' teaching that somehow Jesus is a created God or a lesser God. Now, while they're the classic examples, I think we would find that there are more subtle examples lurking even within the church. In our modern day, I think we would have to say that there are a lot of people who are closet Arians. They probably don't even realize that what they're preaching is heresy or that their teaching is coming out of that concept. But we would have to say there are a lot of people within schools, within theological colleges even, who have reduced the concept of Jesus down to the point where they've taken the power out of the story. Some of this is a fruit of history, that if you go back to the great religious wars that were happening around Europe around the 1600s and into the 1700s, huge battles being played out between countries over which denomination of Christianity they were going to follow. Europe became so scandalized by these conflicts between Christianity that in some sense they resigned themselves to this point of saying the only way we can have peace is if we simplify the story down to simply being about how to be good. Now some Christian churches made a very intentional decision at this time to only speak about morality and to speak of Jesus as being a good moral teacher as a way of avoiding theological conflicts. Other churches maybe didn't intentionally choose that path, but they fell in it because it just became the culture of the time. I think in our modern situation as a Catholic church, we would have to say that there are a lot of people who have been brought up on this idea of Jesus, the good moral teacher, uh, or Jesus, the friend, the, the idea of buddy Jesus, who's going to help you to be good he's going to inspire you to live a good life but that's kind of the end of the story we we avoid the scandal of the incarnation and we avoid the really decisive decision that that teaching calls on us that if jesus is actually god i have to make a decision to follow and if i don't follow that has consequences whereas if jesus is just a nice good moral teacher 
I can choose to follow him or I can choose to follow Buddha or whoever. You know, we, we end up with this idea that all religions are just the same because they're all just giving us good moral teaching. When you look at how fiercely Athanasius fought against this heresy, I think it's tragic that we could allow this to come back in such a subtle manner. You know, that when we teach the fact that Jesus is the Son of God without really explaining what we mean by that, we can end up inadvertently teaching Arianism. We can be planting in the minds of young people this idea that Jesus is just a nice guy, a good role model. There is a real urgent need for us to come back and actually proclaim the scandalous truth that God has become a human being. And to make sure that we emphasize both sides of that story. I think that if you look at the, the way that Christian spirituality has played out through history, the devil's great tactic is to make us emphasize one side at the expense of the other. If we can emphasize the humanity of Christ and forget his divinity, then Christianity becomes powerless. If we can emphasize the divinity at the expense of the humanity, then the devil can very easily turn that spirituality into something very destructive. And you end up almost with a dualistic spirituality of everything that's spiritual is good and everything that's physical is bad. The scandal of the incarnation is that God has come into flesh. He has come into our humanity and made it holy. In that mystery lies the sanctity of the whole world. That is the place where every part of our humanity gets tipped upside down. That's the revolution we need to be proclaiming. We need people in our modern world who are going to be like modern day Athanasiuses. People who understand the importance of this doctrine and will fight for it no matter how many times people try to silence them. Particularly we need teachers, whether that be in parishes or in schools, people who can explain the beauty of the Trinity the, the, the core of this idea to people in a way that's intelligible and understandable, but also in a way that's true. We need to pray that Athanasius could once again intercede for our church and be a safeguard for our church, that he could be the inspiration for a whole new generation of people who understand the beauty of the incarnation and will proclaim it, even if it means sacrificing their whole life.